This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today we are going to recap the Oscars that just happened. But today, I have a very special guest in Tom Ernst. You may know him as the former host of TVO's Saturday Night at the Movies, where for eight years he presented films airing on the network. The podcast, This Movie's About You, where they brought on a new guest each episode to talk about film. And you can read his reviews on Original Sin, a film-based website. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, thank you. Well, this is awesome that I get to have a, a real film critic here to talk some film with me. Oh, I'm sure you've had them before. <laughs> Not the first. Um, so we're going to talk about the 92nd Academy Awards, which were just held uh, the day prior to us recording. It was a very interesting night. Parasite was the big winner. Did you enjoy the show? I've always enjoyed the show. i always enjoyed the Oscars, and I've been watching them completely since I was about 15, uh, started watching them in part when I was 10. My parents would never let me finish them. So um, now I, I think it's really easy to be cynical of the Oscar awards. I think it's really easy to be cynical about people going up and, and, and applauding themselves and each other and patting themselves on the back and movies that you didn't particularly like getting noticed, movies that you loved getting not, not getting noticed. Um, so yesterday's show, I think, was one of the most balanced shows as far as uh, reception, uh, uh, audience reception, critical reception, and uh, you know people at home watching on television. I try to stay off of Twitter uh, uh, while I'm watching the Oscars because I get angry about mm-hmm. people's uh, cynicisms. But if you are going to be on Twitter... Gee Wilkers, did I say Gee Wilkers? <laughs> follow, follow Norm Wilner from Now Magazine. That guy is funny. So even when he's being caustic, I enjoy him. So he, he you know, the, the yesterday show really worked for me. I liked it very much. Well, that's good to hear. I, and I appreciate that you said that. Gee Willikers? Especially oh, that part. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I also feel the same way where sometimes a lot of people can get bogged down in the idea of, well, ooh, it means nothing or, oh, you put too much emphasis on it. And I feel like if you just go in to enjoy it for what it is, a silly night. It is a fun night. It's mm-hmm. nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And if you do want to talk about Politics. If you do want to talk about the, you know, uh, the Joaquin Phoenix is getting up there, or, and I thought the the night politically was Brad Pitt's. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to talk about that and say they're actors, you know, they're just they're just star in movies. They they aren't politicians. Well, you know, they they are people. They mm-hmm. are people of that nation, uh, and they're of whatever nation they happen to be representing or speaking about. And we cannot forget that a really good artist, and they may not be the actors particularly. But a really good artist and a really good art represents society. It interpretates what we see in society. So yes, by all means, if you are a performer, you have every right to take that opportunity mm-hmm. and speak your mind. In, in fact, it's, I, that's an argument I always find frustrating because art is inherently political to begin with. Yes. And you can't really separate the two and you can't say, shut up and sit down at points like that because this is the time that you're giving them their soapbox. And the only time people say shut up and sit down is when somebody says something they don't like. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and you, you will argue really is Ford and Fer- uh, Ferrari, uh, a political movie. Is that art? You know, uh, we both knew that it was, it was an entertaining film mm-hmm. and that it didn't have a chance of winning much. Uh, and, uh, uh, but it won something. And, uh, you know, there are those films. But most of the films that were represented yesterday had a real artistic edge. And also, be, though they were celebrated, and I'm thinking of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm thinking of Jojo Rabbit, as much as they were celebrated, they also had the alternate view of people who absolutely hated them. Mm-hmm. And that is the sign of a good political art fulfillment. I like that. That's great. I was I was sitting in a room. I went to a small Oscar party, and I think there was about eight of us. And there was definitely some heated conversations, especially surrounding Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Joker, that came up several times as well, mm-hmm. where there were some very strong opinions about those movies. How do you normally watch the Oscars? Were you by yourself? Were you watching with other people? This is the first year I wasn't invited to an event. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, so uh, I Your invitation it, got lost in the mail. I'm it sorry. must have. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I usually host an evening of some sort. Uh, when I worked as, at Saturday Night at uh, the Movies, I would host my own Oscar party for my uh, for the people who I worked with, and uh, we, we would dress up and we <laughs> would pretend. So that was always fun. Once I left Sar- uh, Saturday Night at the Movies, I got invited to do events, big events like at the Bluer Cinema or something like that. 
those have sort of faded and, and gone there, you know, gone uh, another path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a generational thing. People want someone who's younger, I understand. And somebody, I know, I get that. That's fine. And uh, then um, I started hosting my own event at, uh, at places like the National Club. Um, and the person I usually do that with is in the Philippines right now, so couldn't do it. Long, long answer to this, I was home alone. Uh, my wife is in Berlin <laughs> working, and uh, I was home alone. I bought myself a bottle of wine. I tried to get my daughter into it. I made the mistake of getting her to watch the red carpet, and by the time that went on for an hour and a half... She was done? She was done. She uh, went upstairs to watch uh, uh, Grey's Anatomy um, and on my computer, so I watched it by myself with my cat. No. Well, hey, you can still have a fun time on your own. Yeah, I did have a good time. That's good. Yes, I did have a good time. And I st- as I said, I stayed off of Twitter except to check in with Norm Wilner every mm-hmm. now and then. That guy is hilarious. <laughs> uh, all right. This was the second straight year that there was no host. Mm. Frankly, I'm kind of a fan of the no host format. I, I feel like it's a no-win gig where you have to be a certain level of celebrity in order to actually get it, and then you have to toe the line, you have to be family-friendly, you also have to be a little bit edgy, you have to be funny but not too funny and take away from the show. It, there's literally no way to win that. And now this is the second year in a row where they've gone no host and just, I think they've allowed the presenters to have a bit more time and be a bit more of themselves. And I think it really works out strongly. There were uh, a few really strong uh, duos with um, Steve Martin and Chris Rock. They sort of kicked it off of like, hey, where the former hosts were not invited back. And then Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph were terrific as well. And Will Ferrell and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Did that format work for you? Well, the three that you mentioned, uh, three pairs that you mentioned, I thought two of those were exceptional. I thought one failed uh, miserably. But I will say, this: then that would be the Steve Martin, uh, um, uh, Chris Rock bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that I, I got a phone call. Who calls you <laughs> when the Oscars are on? I got a phone call just as they come on stage. So I, I was trying to mm. listen with both ears. So I didn't think that bit worked. I thought the Maya Rudolph bit and and, uh, and Kristen, uh, obviously Kristen Stewart, Kristen Wig. Wait, thank you, Wig. <laughs> uh, and um, I thought they were hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't certain that the Will Ferrell bit was going to work. And I thought it did. You know what I thought was a hilarious duo? Or was Diane Keaton <laughs> and Keanu Reeves? And Keanu Reeves. Okay, all right. Okay, you could think that she just came out and did her Annie Hall bit. And I thought it was actually hilarious. It was a little uncomfortable because you're Mm -hmm. not sure if she did it on purpose Mm -hmm. or not. But, you know, and you don't know if is this an age thing? Mm -hmm. Is this this I don't really care thing? I thought it was funny. I just thought her sort of rambling sort of uh, uh, Annie Hall sort of drifting off into nowhere was a funny bit. And whether it was a bit of reality... I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read what people are saying about it just yet, but I will. Yeah, I haven't yet either, so I don't really know. This is all what I'm feeling. But I miss a host. Do you? Mm-hmm. Who Who do you think that they need to be able to do this? Like, obviously, I don't think they'd get someone like Ricky Gervais, where I feel like he's sort of worn out his welcome with the Golden Globes, despite how popular he has been there. Do you have someone in mind? Well, I think choosing uh, a host for the Oscars uh, is the equivalent of choosing uh, who's going to be the next Batman villain. You have mm. to, because you would look, the, you know, who's going to play the Joker? That's as cool, you know, that's one of those cool things. Also, who's going to uh, uh, write the theme song for the next James Bond movie? These are sort of, uh, 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 you know, chalices. These, these are, these are uh, the brass rings that people go for. So who's going to be in the next host of the Oscar is always... Interesting. I, I was surprised they didn't bring Ellen DeGeneres back more often. I thought she really nailed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think there should be a host, but I think um, what they need is not a person necessarily to do it, uh, an actor. What they need is a uh, character to do it. So I'm, I, I submit, even though they're not uh, a movie yet, I submit that they bring the Rose family in from Schitt's Creek. <laughs> and I think that uh, the, all of them do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we need Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. We need, we, we need Mrs. Rose, Mr. Rose. We need, you know, mm-hmm. we, we need the kids. 
and I think they're perfect. Can you imagine uh, uh, Johnny Rose up there going, think, well, how can I make this work for my career? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, is it Maya Rose? Uh, his, his wife uh, uh, I'm blanking on her well, name Catherine yes. O'Hara Catherine O'Hara yes. uh, you know she would be up there thinking everybody still thinks she's a star mm-hmm. right and and of course their son played played by uh, you know um, Dan Levy Dan Levy mm-hmm. uh, he would be neurotic about everything thinking everyone's talking behind his back you know, reading every snub and Alexis well she would have had some kind of connection mm-hmm. with them when I think the Rose family from Schitt's Creek should be the host of the Oscars in character. I like that idea. Yeah, I, think I feel. Good. I, think I feel like work. David Rose would probably uh, rival Billy Porter for who would be the best dressed man at the Oscars. Okay, now let's talk. Can we talk about Billy Rose for a second? Billy Porter. But Billy Porter yes. for a second. Go ahead. Uh, you know, my daughter. This this she watched, and I wasn't allowed to say anything bad about anyone on mm-hmm. camera. I was just not, that's one of the rules. I, so as much as I don't like people being cynical, my daughter thinks I can be cynical. So she <laughs> said, I, so I, I, I thought great. He was fantastic at the, um, uh, at the, uh, Grammys. Mm-hmm. I thought, um, I thought he blew it on, on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. He kept having a look at his cue cards. He, he, he didn't know what to say. His interview with, uh, Spike Lee. I don't know if that was Spike's, fault or his mm-hmm. but i think that fell flat he called uh he's who did he call he um oh my god um dern lord dern as a, an older actress <laughs> you know uh you know like you know there's so many ways to mm-hmm. work that yeah uh i don't know what did i what, what and i kind of mentioned that uh my my daughter gave me heck for saying anything negative about him mm-hmm. she adores the man i think he's I think he's colorful. I think he's entertaining. I think he has a great voice. Uh, 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 I think he dresses amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if he's red carpet interview material. Mm-hmm. I've, I felt all of the red carpet interviewees were quite bad, frankly. Thank you. Weren't they? They yes. were very awkward. They didn't seem to know what they were talking about or how to relate to them. No. Mm-hmm. And there was several, like, uh, 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 Brad Pitt threw some really great lines uh, uh, on the red carpet, and she missed them all. Mm-hmm. She missed. Are there any? What did she say? Are there any? Is there any romance to talk about after he talks about his friendship with uh, uh, you with know? Leo? Yeah, yeah, Leo. Yeah. And she says, "Are there? Is there a romance to talk about?" <laughs> he just says, "I'm not going there." <laughs> you know, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought that, and as a former interviewer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> who uh, doesn't you know doesn't have a whole lot of gigs? I'm thinking, hey, I'll step in. I could do that gig. I could do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this year, we were talking off the top of the the show about how the Oscars are always sort of political. And this year, there were several moments and you specified Brad Pitt's there, mm-hmm. but I felt overall it was it was more political than it was in recent years. Uh, you had many of the presenters making comments about the lack of uh, people of color being nominated or the lack of female directors being acknowledged. And then you had some of the winners like uh, Hair Love for Animated Short and Brad Pitt and Joaquin Phoenix. And it seemed like it was one after another. Everyone was making a very pointed political speech that was aimed at a very different person throughout the night, whether it's someone in the audience or overall for the viewers or the Academy as a whole. Did you think it went a little too overboard or do you think that they needed their fingers to be pointed out at them? I, I don't think um, uh, referencing uh, female directors by uh, identifying them as vaginas mm-hmm. is a great political statement. Mm-hmm. Neither is it that funny. Mm-hmm. I think that was, uh, that was a misfire. Um, I also felt that a lot of the moments were the Academy making up for perceived, well, not just perceived, they actually, you know, it, their are areas that they did ignore, uh, women, uh, uh, there was only one person of color, I mm-hmm, think. Cynthia Revo, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so this was, this, they, they were ignoring that they needed to be. Uh, addressed, but when they're addressed by the academy, it doesn't actually come across as a political statement. Mm-hmm. When the academy brings out somebody to rap halfway through and talk about, um, there's room enough here for everyone to shine, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. But when the academy does it, mm-hmm. it wasn't an, uh, somebody being honored, it wasn't somebody on stage who did it spontaneously, it was 
It was devised. And it felt like you're not going to just, it felt like it was trying to distract us. Mm. It felt like they were saying, hey, we didn't, uh, there's no women here for director, but, um, or, or, uh, but look at what else we're doing. It was a little bit of a sleight of hand that I wasn't quite buying. Um, I know that I listened to um, Rad, who was on CBC this morning, talk about how he did appreciate that. Uh, Rad is a, Rad per voice is one of uh, um, a film critic who is represented or not represented uh, uh, by by these choices, etc. So he, I think his word has has weight. And he did really like it. So uh, and that, that does make me stop and think, okay, uh, is, it, is that an adequate uh, Band-Aid? Mm-hmm. But uh, still, it's just a Band-Aid. I think the only way you're going to get around these things uh, is to actually have, uh, well, to look at who's, who's voting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's got to change. It's, it's a nice effort. I think the effort was to sort of balance the imbalance that was in the show. But it, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like someone coming up to me, a child perhaps, and saying and, and that I caught them doing something wrong. And they would say, yeah, but look what else so-and-so is doing. Or, yeah, but I did this, but I did this, and or I'll promise to do that. Okay, I started this off by saying let's not be cynical about the Oscars. I think maybe I was a bit cynical about that. No, I think you absolutely have a point. There's a difference between Joaquin Phoenix and Brad Pitt making a speech after they win and saying what's on their mind and how they're feeling versus the Academy spending two weeks to a month writing you know, the, the two-minute speech that Martin Shore and Chris Rock are saying with their help or without their help, whatever it is. Yeah, and it, it sounded a bit like of a it difference. was without their help. Uh, at times, yes. Uh, um, I'm sorry, you liked it though. I I don't know how I felt totally about it. Uh, I think I, I appreciate that they acknowledged it, but it was it was sort of it reminded me a bit when uh, the La La Land Moonlight fiasco happened, where the entire next year every joke was about that, and it's like okay, put it to bed. You you can't keep making the same joke over and over again, and it, it sort of felt similarly where it sort of kept harping on the same points. And I got it. I understood. Maybe I'm not the person that needs to be convinced. Maybe it's someone that still is more on the fence about this subject matter, about, you know, Oscar so white and things like that. Um, So I think maybe I'm not the right person to answer this question. Was it too much? Was it not enough? Was it too pointed? Was it too scripted? Things like that. I thought it was too scripted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's all interesting. And and just to to point out the, the big flub, I think, and you brought up the uh, La La Land, um, Moonlight thing. Uh, why did they not start off the next year's Oscars by giving the Moonlight people their chance to do their speeches? Mm-hmm. Drove me nuts. They they turned the lights down on them. They won the best picture. People won't doesn't don't even remember that. They don't remember the name of the director. You know, uh, most most people. Uh, a lot of people just remember La La Land. Boy, if I had made Moonlight, or if I was a uh, uh, a viable uh, voice for that community, I would be up in arms. Mm-hmm. The one chance this, and a really great chance, uh, you know, LGBTQ rights were, were identified in this. Uh, 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 diversity was identified by this film and it got completely swept away by an all white movie. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It was about jazz, but mm. uh, yeah, but uh, you know, I, and, and why no one thought to give that director, those actors, that film, the acknowledgement it deserved to kick off the next Oscar seasons was was probably the biggest misstep in the history of the Oscars. Mm. I, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, moving on, we'll talk maybe a little bit about the, the different musical performances. Was there any that were a standout for you of, of the five nominees specifically? Of oh, the nominees? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, if ever there's a... a, a a point where I like to leave uh, uh, and, and make a sandwich. <laughs> it's during the musical performances. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's for me, it's like uh, the way I identify uh, watching a hospital TV drama as a kid. I never wanted to see them, but whenever my mom would turn them on, I would sit and go kind of get into them. So that happens mm-hmm. to me with the, the music events. I did think, I don't know what people are saying about Billie Eilish. I thought that was a heart 
rendering uh, uh, rendition of, of that yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, I thought that was beautiful. Um, I don't know what people thought. You know, I loved about that at the end when she looked to her brother and he applauded her. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably really good siblings together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that touched me. Um, I did at the opening. I thought she was off key at first, and I thought, "Oh, this is bombing." And then when it got to the big number, and mm-hmm. I love the fact that they were celebrating. Even I, I love the fact that they were celebrating Dolomite, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest uh, 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 misses mm-hmm. the Oscars had. What a great movie! Wouldn't you have loved to have seen Wesley Snipes up there? Wouldn't you have loved <laughs> to have seen Eddie Murphy? Mm-hmm. You know. And then also, I, one of my favorite horror movies of the year was Midsummer, and that was there. Uh, and I thought, geez, how, you know, probably because Florence was in the audience. Her performance in that movie, uh, and, and have you seen Midsummer? That is one of my few misses this year that I've not Her seen. Her performance yet. is fantastic. I, we could talk about that some other time. Um, when I'm talking about music. So I did like it because I, I'm a, a Broadway fan, mm-hmm. and I like Broadway musicals. So the big Broadway dance numbers always work for me when they're done right. And then she did a shout out to the LGBTQ community, and that was great. And um, I thought Randy Newman, I thought his song was, uh, who I usually love, I thought his song was uh, uh, really uh, repetitive. Yes. And I didn't know how he got in there, and he got a standing ovation. Uh, I thought that was nice, but I thought... And I did think his song was lively. It just was too repetitive. I love seeing Elton John up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved Eminem in there. Um, I thought that was, I thought he was great. That I, was definitely a surprise. For it sure. was a huge surprise. And I kept wondering why he was there. Mm-hmm. Am I missing something? No, the, the room that I was in, it was, it was very confusing. We're like, well, why is this happening? And there were some people that weren't enjoying it as much. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I love that song. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe it's the anniversary of it or something. And so my wife looked it up and she's like, I think it's the 17th anniversary or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Who celebrates that? Yeah. yeah. So that's not really an anniversary. I know he just put out a new album recently. So maybe this is a part of his promotional tour to get back in the spotlight. I don't really know. But it, it was certainly odd. But I, I appreciate it. I really liked yeah, it. Did he get a mofo in there? At one point, I I think it was pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I wondered about that, and it must have been really hard for him not mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a consummate performer. I, I loved watching the audience reaction, <laughs> even Scorsese, who looked a bit. There were a few dazzled. that were that were a little confused about yeah. it, but I think for the most part, they really got into it. Yeah, and I love to see that he got a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right. Uh, I think we've danced around the winners long enough, and we should maybe talk about how the results came in. Obviously, everyone knows by now that Parasite is the big winner. It is the first non-English language film ever to win Best Picture. It swept most... It didn't sweep, but it won four awards, all of them very big. Bong Joon-ho winning four himself. Incredible. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I never thought it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to win uh, a Best uh, International Film. Mm -hmm. And uh, so glad the way it turned out. Because it is a great film. I would not have been unhappy if uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had won. Mm -hmm. uh, Only because I think that is a really artful movie. And I think it's so easily misunderstood. Um, really, really, really happy if Irishman had won. Mm. Because but the, but these are all sort of personal. I can't say Irishman is better than Parasite, and I can't say Parasite is better than Irishman. Uh, I do think Irishman and Parasite are better than and all the other films in the category, though they were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, um, but... Uh, I was thrilled. Um, again, this is where I just sort of watch the show and accept it. Uh, I don't. There's only been a handful of times, if even that, that I went. That I thought, how did that movie win? Mm-hmm. Where I really disliked the winning movie. Uh, it's not often. Um, that would have been uh, Driving Miss Daisy, mm-hmm. which I just could not buy. It's terrible. Yeah, and um, there. And then uh, the sequel to it, Green Book. I liked it. Did you? I okay. liked Green Book. Okay. okay. 
Now, I, I liked Green Book for, for a lot of reasons, is that I think Green... Oh, you don't, do you want me to talk about Green Book? If you got a bid, say it. Well, all I will say is I, I think Green Book was not about a man who, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was a white savior movie. Mm-hmm. Again, I do recognize this is not my uh, battle to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can, in, in those cases, I, I hand it over to those who, who it matters matters to and who it affects more. Personally, all I can do is sit down and watch the film and, and enjoy it. And what I loved about this movie is, um, A, I knew I could phone up my sister and tell her they're much older, that my sisters are much older than I am. So I could say, you'll love this movie and know that they will. Uh uh, B, I thought it was wonderful the way um, movies of this type are always about some guy who thinks he's better than the uh, you know the interra- interracial sort of um, foil foil mm-hmm. that he plays off of. In this case, he did not; it didn't even register, and that was a surprise for me. And also in the scene, not to ruin it for people who did not now I haven't seen the movie, but the scene where he catches him in a compromising position in an era of which that particular compromising position is not accepted. He had no judgment. Mm. That's what I liked about the movie. The film. Now it ended awfully. It had (laughs) had an awful, awful ending. But uh, other than that, I liked the film. Well, I appreciate your insight on that. Oh, well, whatever it's worth. (laughs) For, for this year, as far as the best Mm. picture goes, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a bit in the minority of, I liked it just under quite a bit. I didn't love it. If I were to rank my movies for the year, it's probably going to end up maybe in the top 25. It's not going to be in the top 10 for me. But wow, it doesn't make your top 10. No, it does not. And I know that's a bit of a sacrilegious thing to say because people are so passionate about this movie. And I appreciate all the twists and turns that I did. I just feel that the last act was so much of a departure from the first two acts that it just didn't quite work for me. I, I've only seen it the once. I saw it in theaters, and that was a few months ago when it first came out, and I know I need to rewatch it, especially now that it's it's won. And maybe, what did I get wrong? What what did oh, I not appreciate? That's interesting. I mean, it's, but certainly people are passionate about the film, but here's where I think film criticism and the love of cinema goes awry, is that um, so passionate that it becomes angry. Mm-hmm. You know? And I will never get angry about someone's take on a film. Uh, what I do get angry about is people being uh, telling me or bullying me into to their particular, uh, uh, cor- you know, corralling me into their in their beliefs and, and, and being bullying, and this happens on Twitter a lot, and I can name the movie that I think this is particularly uh, true of. So you're not liking Paris, or sorry, Parasite not getting into your top ten is really really interesting mm-hmm. for someone who loves cinema mm-hmm. because I can't think of 10 films. I mean, I, well, I certainly can't think of 25 films that are necessarily better than Parasite. I mean, there were three in the best picture the category day. alone for me. I yeah. 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Little Women were all some of my favorites of the year. See, I didn't like 1917. Okay. That seems to be also another one that's a little bit divisive. Yeah. Where I'm finding out where I... I, I everyone I've talked to for the most part is like, oh, yeah, I loved it. And then I'm hearing a, a dissenting opinion. I'm like, oh... I didn't know someone felt that way about it. So that's it's right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one that's kind of caught me by surprise a little bit, the the critiques of it, which when I'm hearing them, I understand it completely. I understand where people are coming from, but the critiques that people dislike about it is what worked for me. I, yeah. I appreciate it. So you liked the fact that it looked like one shot. You yes. liked the fact that not all uh, scenes were directed by the eyes. Sorry. So where, you know, like there was a lot of emptiness going yes. on. You liked that. Yes. Um, and those were uh, aspects I did not like. Uh, I, and worse of all, I think it's worse offense. And people have told me I'm being really, really picky. The scene in the uh, farmhouse. Okay. Uh, the tragedy that happens there. Mm-hmm. The next thing we know is just on the other side of the farm is a whole train. Troops, like hundreds and hundreds of trucks and men that nobody noticed mm-hmm. prior to this. It, it drove me crazy. It took me right out of the movie. 
that yeah, that is something that uh, I, I've heard some complaints about as well, and I don't have a I don't have an answer for that with the the plot device. Right, and it's a, and if I was with the movie, I'd mm-hmm. probably forgive it. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I wasn't with the movie. I recognized that there were elements that were good about the film, uh, and and I love the I love the Hitchcockian twist that happens at the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Hitchcockian twist being this cycle where where uh, you think you're being with this one character, and it, and that switches. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, nineteen seventeen. I recognize it as it's a good film. Mm-hmm. I, I I did of all the films there, except for maybe Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, I thought uh, that was the weakest. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was, and I thought Little Woman was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Interesting. My my favorite film of the mo- of the last year was Last Black Man San Francisco, which was never in contention for anything at the Oscars. And hardly anyone saw that film, and mm-hmm. that is such a vital, important, and great movie. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a movie I I constantly try to to flag when people say, yeah, "Have you seen anything great?" And I always throw that one out. And uh, it's it's underrated. It's um, not you know not highly seen and. Did you ever see uh, Columbus from a few years ago by uh, Koganada? Um, don't think I have. No? Okay. I, I find that they're very similar where they're both very aesthetically pleasing shot films where everything is, is right angles and beautiful architecture and things like that. And it's a very interesting story where it's uh, uh, a Korean man who is returned to the U.S. after his father has gotten ill, who is a famous uh, architect. And so he doesn't have the emotional attachment to his father's buildings, but he meets this young woman, Haley Lou Richardson, who is in love with his father's architecture. And so they have a nice little bonding. And it's very similar to Last Black Man in San Francisco, where your emotional attachment to the city defines who you are as a person as well, which is something I really appreciate because I know not everyone feels the same way about Toronto, but I love living in this city. I feel a very rich, deep connection to it. And I know the buildings aren't pretty like they are in Last Black Man in San Francisco, but that same sort of resonance of feeling connected to the roots of it. When you discover little areas of Toronto where the architect is uh, is really quite splendid, there's not a lot of old buildings for us to uh, appreciate. You know, we get um, City Hall doesn't count, but once you get to the courthouses, those are nice. Mm-hmm. University of Toronto has uh, a lot. But some of the new architecture, and I was just walking through, what area of town was I walking through the other day? And, oh, um, the Esplanade. Okay. And I and it's really a street that is unique all all on its own with all the the pubs and stuff and it's very a sports centric kind of area. Yet there is something about the feel of walking down that street that I thought this is unique to Toronto, uh, and it's hidden. Mm-hmm. And then when you go up a side street, it becomes old Montreal <laughs> for just a brief brief moment. So there's lots to like. And and what you're talking about is I think this. Uh, is what Woody Allen has done a lot in his career, particularly with films like Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the, the love of architect and, and, and architecture and, and, and cinema and storytelling, yeah. It really could be its own subgenre of movies, of, of architecture-based Well, cinema. we did that on Saturday Night at the Movies. Oh, interesting. We did a series, and we brought in all our architecture architects from Toronto, uh, famed and otherwise, and uh, we showed Manhattan, and I can't remember, I wish to... Goodness, I remember the second film. Oh, uh, movie about it's. Uh, oh my gosh, it, it's it's about the uh, not, uh, shrugged. Um, well, the, anyway, it'll come to me. <laughs> oh God. A- anyway, it's it is about an architect who uh, and King Vidor, I think, directed it, uh, and he's an architect who wants perfection. Mm. It's a it's a very uh, interesting movie, filmed beautifully by King Vidor. Okay, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, sorry, I can't remember That's the all right. title. <laughs> Famous book by Anne Rand. Atlas Shrugged? That's the only one I can think of of hers. Is it, it could be Atlas Shrugged, actually. Anyway, your, your listeners know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, all right, going back to Parasite, it, it, were you surprised that it ended up winning because I still felt that there was going to be a bit of a Roma hangover where it's not, not that I don't think it's the right time, but some of the voters, I think they're still trying to diversify the the voter base. And I think it's still not diverse enough. And I thought the same thing that was going to happen where I really, I had 
was hoping for Roma to win last year, too. and it didn't. And I was wondering if the same thing was going to happen again this year, which obviously it didn't. So it completely flips the narrative on its head. Mm-hmm. So just so we set the record straight, I did not think think Green Book was the best pitcher of the year. I thought <laughs> Roma was. It. I liked it. Okay. Um, and uh, and I didn't think Green Book would win. That was a shock. So uh, again, I did not think Parasite would win. 1917 was my, you know, when people asked me to do forms for them, mm-hmm. 1917, without question, I had no doubt was going to be the winning movie. Um, and I thought Scorsese was, without question, going to be the winning director. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not disappointed with how it turned out, mm-hmm. but this is what I thought voters would do. I did not know. I, you know, I, I thought, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, put into... Uh, best international film. It's going to win that. And like he said, when he got up there, uh, 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 I thought I had the rest of the night off. Yeah. He, I think he really did believe that that was the end of him going up there. Yeah. Um, for me, when it, there was two things that tipped me off of my change, because I, I believe 1917 was going to win both pitcher and director. Um, when, Original screenplay went to Parasite. That was my my first little uh, little alarm bell going off of like, oh, maybe things aren't going the way I, I was thinking it was. And then in the sound categories, when 1917 didn't get both of them and one went to Ford versus Ferrari, that was the other alarm bell that went that it wasn't 1917's night. It looked like things were definitely going to turn towards Parasite. And then by right. the time Bong Joon-ho won Best Director, obviously, I think it had sealed its fate that it was obviously going to be called up again. Wow, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm not that good at uh, you know figuring things out like that. I go, <laughs> I go by my gut, and my gut has failed me many times on these Oscar polls. But um, yeah, if I had gone on air to do something, you know, and and predicted, my predictions would have been way off. I think in that case, for the first while, mm-hmm. I was bang on. You know, Renee was going to win uh, win for Judy. Uh, that was no question. Joaquin was going to win for the Joker. That Brad was going to win. And Laura Dern was going to win, and I just thought I had it all sealed. But mm-hmm. yeah, this one threw me for a loop. And that's interesting. I was just about to transition to that as well. I think this is the first time in a very long time that all four acting categories have been such locks from way beginning before the nominations even came out. Usually there's at least one or two of the categories where it's like, oh, it could be this person or this person. But this time it was from the get-go. These were the four people. They won every single award along the way. The Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, the Critics' Choice Awards, everything like that. And it just was a steamroll to the finish. And I was I was a little surprised, but it became very anticlimactic last night during mm-hmm. the ceremony. Yeah, I um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And but when we do see the lineup when of who's going to win, particularly yeah, actually in the in the acting categories, there's no way you're going to look at any of those people and say they don't deserve an award. Mm-hmm. No matter who it is, you would just say, okay, this is the more, most popular award. This is the one that's getting the most press. But, uh, you know, Leonardo was fantastic, you know, uh, in, in for, you know, and he didn't, you know, for best actor for uh, once, once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, any of those actors could have gone up there and won. Mm-hmm. So it becomes less, you're right, it becomes less of, uh, and, you know, who's going to win, who's going to walk away with this. I don't think it's ever the case that you can't get those categories, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's always a sort of a lot uh, right after the nominations. You kind of know who's going to walk up there. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part, but there's, there's still sometimes I feel like there's one of the, of the four categories that will be a little bit up in the air. Like if this, mm-hmm. if Joaquin Phoenix has had already won an Oscar before. I think he partially won because of the fact that he's never won an Oscar before because the the Oscars are always trying to play catch up with what they're doing. If he won for the master or something like that. Which he should have. I, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. And then the story becomes, is it Adam Driver's turn? So then it becomes, is it Joaquin Phoenix or is it Adam Driver? And then, you know, maybe at the BAFTAs, Adam Driver wins Best Actor and suddenly the narrative changes a little bit, even though Phoenix wins most of the other precursors. And then there's still a little bit of a mystery. This time there was just there's just absolutely none for it at all even if most years there is a you can go i'm 90 percent sure these are who are, are going to be the four winners and, yeah. and this year that i feel like that was completely taken away yeah i 
I was not a fan of uh, uh, Judy mm-hmm. and Renee Zellweger. Uh, I think her performance was fine, was great, but the movie was so not. It, the movie didn't work mm-hmm. at all. I don't. I'm not even, even going to preface that by saying the movie didn't work for me. It just didn't work, and uh, so that really left a bad taste in my mouth, even about her her performance, which was again fine, and we knew she was going to win. But I would have loved to have seen somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that. Remind me of who some of the other... Uh, well, there was Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, mm-hmm. um, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, uh, and then what was it? Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, and Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Okay. Okay. Okay, out of those, yeah. Even now, I would have to say, okay, hers is the most obvious choice. But, I would have preferred yeah. Saoirse Ronan if it was me. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I'm in, in the exact same boat where I thought it was a perfectly fine performance, really good. It's nice to see Renee Zellweger back in the spotlight, but that movie is completely forgettable. Completely. And I, you know what? These, these biographical films, as far as I'm concerned, biographical films never work. Unless you take a step outside of reality and you're not trying to recapture the truth. I think truth is way, this sounds absurd, and I've actually said this in front of an audience and was taken to task for it, but I I believe it's true that the best films about artists are the ones that are furthest from the truth. And what I think is, I think uh, uh, Born to be Blue. uh, Love that one. It's so good. It's not true. Mm -hmm. That story is not true. But it tells you a truth because, and that's what in fact fiction does. Fiction tells you a truth that you can, uh, um, that somehow relates to a deeper sense. When mm-hmm. you try to be factual, all you're going to do is miss something, tell it in a wrong way, or hit people over the head. And all people are doing is saying, Oh, I remember that point, that point, that point, that point. And you get a catalog, you don't get a film. That's why I thought uh, Rocket Man was so much better than um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. It's because it became a fantasy. It mm-hmm. became something else. So we got a sense of what this character, Elton John, was feeling and was like in his experience, not from facts, but from uh, emotions and from trigger points. I, I, I agree. I think if they had done away with the rehab counseling scenes Mm -hmm. that movie would be easily a top 10 film for me because how imaginative it was and it was very much like a broadway show it felt like and it should be Mm -hmm. if if elton john's life is not an internal broadway show then uh you know when they do billy porter's uh um life did i say his name right billy yes yeah billy porter's life i think too it should it should take that kind of fanciful look you know Unless the struggle is about fighting against that and, 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 and the things that, you know, you know, that it takes for someone to be, to be who they are, to be original. Because I think there is a struggle mm-hmm. to, to, to be original in this world. And particularly, uh, you know, cinema and film is finally getting around to, you know, to acknowledging that, um, being who you are, no matter what boundaries are broken, um, well, as long as they're not illegal boundaries, um, what boundaries are broken uh, is fair game and, and allowing allowing that. I think that's becoming more and more true. I think maybe part of the problem with the Billy Porter, Spike Lee interaction is I wasn't sure why Spike Lee was on this whole thing. Spike Lee looked like he might have been not happy mm-hmm. to have been there. Which would be very sad if that is the case. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I'm not saying it is the case, but I'm just, it crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't speak too highly. I'm not. I can't speak too thoroughly about the red carpet stuff because there was a lot of commotion going on. I was getting drinks, things like that. So I was, I was very in and out of the the entire red carpet experience. You were getting drinks? Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, people like, were showing up, you know, <laughs> okay. catching up, things here, like that. It was here, no, it? We, it was at a friend's house. Okay. Um, uh, I just want to feel like I got to get this in because you're talking about the biopics. I think a movie that perfectly captures your idea of what a good biopic should be is I'm not here or I'm not there. Uh, the, yeah. the Bob Dylan. Exactly. One. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's, that's a, and you know, I found that movie really confusing and, and, and uh, I was in and out of that film with mm-hmm. it and not with it, but uh, it's so creative. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm sorry. 
you know, when I, when I did say this whole thing about uh, reality is better uh, uh, realized uh, through fantasy, I said it in front of a, a number of documentarians. So, of course, that didn't fly. <laughs> but I wasn't talking about documentary films. Yes. You know, I was talking about, you know, if you're going to do a documentary on someone's life, then, yes, you do have to take a different, you know, more, more realistic approach to it. But well, we've also learned earlier this year or last year, Bob Dylan once again threw that convention out the window with Rolling Thunder Review. Did you yes, catch yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. Halfway through, I'm like, why is this movie frustrating me so much? Because I went in knowing nothing about it other than that it was a Bob Dylan Scorsese movie. Afterwards, I was reading up and I was like, this explains why this movie was so frustrating to watch, but it was so enrapturous. And yeah. you what's real, what isn't, and completely threw everything about what documentary filmmaking is out the window for a biopic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think any film that frustrates you in a way that encourages you to want to read about it more, mm-hmm. which is what you did, is a sign of a good film. It awesome. doesn't mean you have to end up liking it. You know, I dislike, there are good films that I dislike, you know? <laughs> I mean, I recognize they're good movies, and I recognize they've done something, but they, what they've done has triggered something uh, personally or emotionally for me or even intellectually for me, uh, mostly emotional, but that makes me set, want to separate myself from the film. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a good piece of work. Uh, and I, uh, the movie that I always sort of uh, think of is um, the, the Conformist. I don't know that one. Oh, it's an uh, early Bertolucci film. Oh. Uh, and uh, it's... I've tried and tried again, and I won't tell you the other film because okay. it, it will discredit me completely. <laughs> I'll tell you off, off the Okay. Mic. Yeah. Well, what you're saying, that's Parasite for me this year. Yeah. I can, I can 100% appreciate everything that Bong Joon-ho was doing with that, the, the what he was crafting in that house, how that was so much a part of the movie as well, and the layers to that, and what the, he was trying to tell with this class structure. I, I'm was fully on board it just there was a little bit that just didn't click for me and unfortunately yeah. that it just didn't work yeah no and that's fine and i there are movies that i i go back to because you say you'll see it again most often i like movies better the second time i see them uh and then i'll see them too much <laughs> pulp fiction and all of a sudden the flaws that people who don't like pulp fiction keep throwing at me suddenly start surfacing mm-hmm. and then i'll go back a couple of years later and like it again so you know that that happens um you know there there, there is one I, you know i'm going to let you go on because i had a thought and it, I, it ran away from me and i'm going to get back to it because i know it's really important and i wanted to say it okay so um so we talked a little bit about 1917, how it sort of came short. Joker mm-hmm. also made history, having the first female composer not only nominated but winning, which I think was fantastic. And they they followed, they tied that up nicely with having the first female composer mm-hmm. conduct all of the original score music, which was a nice little touch. And it was great, but that was another thing that I just thought, especially with the three women up there. Uh, uh, do, I know, okay, I get it, listeners, I am a man, and I'm saying this from my perspective, and, and I applaud this, I think it's fantastic, and I think it should happen organically, I suppose it hap- has to happen inorganically first, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it, I, I, I love that, but wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden, if if they just said she's directing, you know, we now have uh, th- this woman, uh, d- you know, conducting, conducting yeah, yeah, conducting the uh, the orchestra. Um, it just sounded like the academy was trying too hard. And again, I said this before because um, they felt like they're trying to distract me from the real issue that there wasn't enough uh, uh, female representation, there wasn't enough uh, uh, other kind of you know black representation or. or uh, Indian representation, whatever kind of representation is being out. It was too white. It was too male. Mm-hmm. So please don't read my um, annoyance at these things as uh, as thinking that uh, we're being hit on the head on with it. I think we need to be, but I just think it doesn't make up for the lack mm-hmm. of diversity. No, and I think that that's the, the the major key where you can you can find faults with the method that they're doing to it, where if it doesn't eventually address the root problem what's it all for yeah 
Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, Hollywood only won two awards. I was I was very sure that Tarantino was going to pick up his third original screenplay win. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking that was going to happen as well? Yeah, actually, I did. That was that was one of my, I thought be Irishman or, or Tarantino. Um, it's always fun seeing the guys that are, are out there eccentric and and wild and will say anything and really don't care get up on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 always um yeah, so I always want to hear the from those people. Uh yeah, I'm surprised Tarantino didn't win. It that is such a good movie. And and when you do find people that dislike the film, they seem to dislike it for the reasons exactly like uh you were saying, they dislike it for reasons that made me like it. Mm-hmm. You know? The kind of self-serving aspect to it. I think uh, Brad Pitt sort of nailed it in his speech when he said, perhaps Tarantino, uh, talking about the recent uh, uh, trials in the States with, with Trump, whose name was never mentioned once, I mm-hmm. don't think. Um, That's what he wanted. <laughs> That's what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, when he said maybe Trump, maybe um, Tarantino will make this film, and in the end, the adults win. And this is what we love, and I'm just you know you know about Tarantino is that dare I say I won't actually say the ending of of you know uh, Hollywood, but it was so satisfying, mm-hmm. just like the ending of Inglorious Bastards. It's so satisfying. And what makes that film so strong that people are forgetting is the whole element of uh, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate watching herself on screen and celebrating her stardom. Mm -hmm. Uh, It touches me. And I think that is what uh, uh, Tarantino does so well. He looks at the ugliness of history and he he twists it to, to make us feel good about something that I suppose we, we can never feel good about, but um, it gives us an alternative universe. For a few short hours, at least. For a few short hours. And can I talk a little bit about Hollywood now? Uh, I don't know, and I try to find out if if the character that uh, Brad Pitt plays, mm-hmm. in the real story, there was a um, stuntman named Shorty. And you know you know about this, okay? Mm-hmm. For those who don't, there's a stunt man named Shorty. He was one of the first to be murdered mm-hmm. by the Manson clan. So when Brad Pitt goes to the ranch, Shorty was picked up by a woman on the ranch. That you know, a woman brought him back. He was found dead, just a torso. Uh, and uh, I thought, even though we do know his name, I forgot who Brad Pitt's name was in the film. And I thought, is this Shorty? Is mm-hmm. this Shorty? Which that scene on the ranch was the uh, glass of milk scene at in the opening. Glorious Bastards. Yeah, in Glorious Bastards. You know? And I just sat there watching it, and there's a scene when it cuts, and we go to a different scene with, I believe it was, uh, I, think it, I think it was with um, Leonardo, where someone says, Shorty. And I, and I just thought that little touch, he's playing with us. Mm-hmm. He's making you think, yeah, that's Shorty. So. Yeah. I, I felt the same way because I, there was a, do you know the podcast, You Must Remember This? Yes, I do. Okay. So I, when she did the season on the whole Manson murders, I was absolutely glued to that and learned so much information, which really helped going into the movie. Yeah. And listening to that and watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the parallels, there's there's so many where he, he clearly did his homework as well. So she talks about this and that? She talks about Shorty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she, she did an entire season. I think it's, uh, eight or nine episodes of it where it's all about the Manson murders and going very in depth to basically everyone that even had some peripheral connection to it. Uh, and they did, she did spend some time talking about Shorty Shea, who was the stuntman, one of the mm-hmm. first ones to get murdered. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and so when he, uh, when Brad Pitt, who's the guy and he goes flying, you know, yeah. uh, which is very cinematic. That was the Shorty, uh, um, Payback, mm-hmm. you know, I thought emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Um, I think the last thing I really want to kind of talk about is if you had any any snubs for me, 
I was I was disappointed with the animated feature category. This is a category that has flummoxed me for years, mostly due to the fact that most of the members are either Disney or Pixar employees. So by virtue of that, they're the ones that are most likely going to win. I thought this year with Frozen 2 completely being shut out that finally they would, you know, do the right thing and not award one of the big studios with a win and sure enough Toy Story 4 probably the weakest of the entire series ended up winning where I would have been more than happy with either Klaus or I Lost My Body or Missing Link because I think they're all fantastic films yeah I'd really uh, draw a blind eye blind ear or you don't have a blind ear deaf deaf ear to those categories, uh, you know, it meant more to me when, um, you know, my, my daughter and I would go see those films. I did not like Toy Story. You're right. It's the weakest. I didn't even like the best Toy Story. I'm just not mm-hmm. that guy. But uh, um, definitely uh, that was the wrong choice in that case. But the biggest snub for me was Scorsese. Mm-hmm. I was really, really happy that he was selected he was quoted on stage by the winner for best director that he was honored appropriately and i really hope scorsese felt the love of his community because more than once people talked about i think it was hard to miss there there was definitely a very pointed we honor you and we we appreciate you for everything that you've done for the history of cinema because it, it extends far beyond what he does behind the camera because he is he's such a vital person with his work revitalizing old film prints in museums and things like that. He is more than just a director to a lot of these people. And I think he was appropriately acknowledged. Yet that made me happy mm-hmm. that, that the, the entire auditorium stood up for him mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. And, um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't walk away. I don't know if he gets this funny. You would think somebody that far in his career, uh, you know, I think, He's a legend. He is a true maestro. Mm-hmm. I don't think he... I wonder if it really gets him. I guess only the clo- his closest friends will know, unless he talks about it. But, I, you know, I, I felt that The Irishman is a hugely underrated film. Even I, I love it. And people who hate the movie are going to say, it's hugely overrated. <laughs> but uh, what, you know, people who talk about the... the um, the lack of women in the in the film, I mm-hmm. think the Anna Panquin's uh, role is uh, stunning. What she does in uh, visuals, mm-hmm. uh, it can't be done with words. So yeah, Irishman was was the big uh, disappointment for me. Um, I do think it was the best film of the year. I think if it was an hour shorter, it would have worked a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. And. Pacino and Pesci were fantastic. De Niro was the one that didn't work it for me, especially when he was playing the youngest version of himself. Those are the parts that just that really didn't sort of jive well with me, where I think De Niro just doesn't really have it as much anymore. Uh, Pacino, I, I've written him off long ago, but this was proof that maybe with the right direction and the right script and... Often he gets cast as being able to play this, you know, loud over the top character, and it's too much. This time it actually really suited what he was able to bring to the table, especially contrasted with Pesci's quietness and more inwardness. The two of them worked off each other very well of showing the two dichotomies of what, a, you know, you expect in a gangster movie sort of thing. And so I really appreciated those two performances. But De Niro's was the one that, that really didn't work for me. So you saw it once? Only once. I don't think I can marathon it a second time. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hope... I hope your wife talks you into doing it again. Oh, I thought she De Niro won't. was wonderful. I thought De Niro was wonderful, and and I do hear uh, and uh, from a lot of people about De Niro and um, you know there's people who generally I know you're a film historian and I know you you see your stuff. I'm not questioning that, but for a lot of people, De Niro is the De Niro of the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. And he has done, yes, he has done his, and Pacino too, his best work uh, in the 70s. Yes. Uh, But, you know, it's like somebody once told me about Francis Ford Coppola and they they dismissed him and he just, 
they, you can't make movies anymore. You can't make movies. You can't make movies. And I go, you know what? You just have to make uh, uh, the conversation. That's If you make just the conversation, you need to be honored for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. He didn't just do that. He did The Godfather. Then he did Godfather 2. You know, and then he, he's done a, a number of other films that are... Um, what came before the conversation that was quite good? Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. You know, um, it, so sometimes what you've done recently uh, really isn't what you are about or who you are about. And and I think that about all these actors. You know, this is one of the things I, I tried to avoid reading on Twitter was comments about Pacino, comments about mm-hmm. De Niro, etc. Because um, they've earned our respect, mm-hmm. you know. And also, particularly De Niro, politically, man, he's he's the man. He is. Mm-hmm. I, I will not fault him for that. And yeah. I do I do think this was De Niro's best performance in a long time for me. Mm-hmm. I just think it was not fully there for me. Okay. Netflix or in the theater? I saw it on Netflix. Okay. You got to go. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> and I did hear that there are people experienced it much differently for those that did go and see it at TIFF if they're lucky enough to go to those screenings or, or the like, uh, as opposed to just seeing it on Netflix. Okay, so here's... I saw Had a Beer just before I saw it at uh, TIFF. Mm-hmm. And I had to use the washroom just as the screen opened. I went, oh, I'll watch the first scene. I stayed in my seat the whole time. Really? I could not That's leave. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember what it was that I was going to say that would have, you know, been so brilliant. But I had an eye anyway. <laughs> I think my last uh, sort of snub was I, I, I really enjoyed American Factory, the the documentary. Yeah. Uh, but for some, uh, I I don't think I've been as moved by a movie as I have in that one. Did you were you able to catch up with that documentary? Yeah, that's the one I saw. Okay. And and uh, yes, uh, but why why. You're talking about American Factory? Yes. It won, didn't it? Yeah, it did, yes. That's what I'm saying, where I would have preferred it to be for Sama to win. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, okay, so no, American Factory is the only one I saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and I liked it very much. I, I did too. I think, it, I think it was quite an interesting one. I, I think it's impossible to walk away from that movie and not really question everything that is being run by our society and, and those larger questions that we need to answer. Um but it, for Sama was was a film that has touched me in a way that I didn't think that a documentary had it. I was I was emotional the entire way through, and it's a shame that the cave, which is basically the exact same subject subject matter, they were both nominated for the same year mm-hmm. because it it really makes me dismiss the cave that much more because for Sama was was such a phenomenal work of art. What what, what struck me about the acceptance of that uh, uh, film uh, the. Um American Factory, is that the director acknowledged the other directors, Mm -hmm. and she acknowledged that all of them risked their lives. And she, when she said that, and then she said, "My film's from you know uh, Ohio, Ohio." Yeah, it was almost like she's saying, "We'll accept this award. We won. We're Mm going to accept it." But you guys risked your lives, and uh, I thought that was a a worthy. point of her mentioning i think also a worthy point worth mentioning is that you've seen every single film in the category <laughs> every single you including nominated films right you've yes. seen every single yes. one that is that you deserve an award yeah, well thank you very much it's it's something that i i torture myself through every year and I, this was the first time i've ever completed it 100 percent, and i'm and i'm quite proud of that uh it's i it's funny I never really think of this as my own little personal challenge. And, and then yesterday when I was at watching the Oscars, a friend was like, so uh, I was talking to my husband and he said, does it help you or does it make it worse when you're trying to pick out the winners? And I'm like, you know what? I've actually never thought about that. And the fact that I only ended up predicting 16 out of the 24, maybe it means that it hinders me a little bit. <laughs> I don't think you know, it always tries, I always fit think it's weird when people say, oh, I don't want to fill out the ballot. I haven't seen any of the movies. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Your guess is as good as mine. You know, uh, I would not have picked Parasite. Even though I thought Parasite was a really good film, mm-hmm. I would not have picked it over 1917. That, I think if you were picking Parasite to win, I think it's one of those times where you're going with your gut and your gut ended up being right. Yeah. I think that my gut's overrated. 
<laughs> well, Tom, I really appreciate you coming here and, uh, and talking with me. If people want to read more of your writing or, or interact with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, Original Sin. Uh, so it's original-c-i-n. Uh, and, and Google that. Um, it is where I write my reviews. Uh, other than that, I, I, I show up at film festivals. I show up at, at uh, you know various places just doing talks and stuff like that. You can follow me on Twitter which is at real, R-E-E-L, Tom, T-H-O-M, and my last name is Ernst, E-R-N-S-T, so at real Tom Ernst. Well, I'm going to make sure I link to that in the show notes so that way people can find you and, uh, and you know, if you want to get into it, them about the Irishman or Parasite or things like that, you can, you can do that. I don't. I won't. <laughs> if you tweet something nasty about it, I'll just go find it. No, no, no one will do that. Of course not. Uh, yeah. Well, Tom, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Tom Ernst, for coming on and talking all about the Oscars. It was a real pleasure, and I hope you check out his work. I also want to thank Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show, and Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music. Now make sure you follow ContraZoomPod on all platforms. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at ContraZoomPod, and make sure you follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and yes, we are now on Google Play, so please make sure you subscribe wherever you get us, and you know what? If you feel so inclined, please leave us a rating or review. Mm-hmm.